Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back, everybody. It's uh, uh, 17 September, about 10 o'clock at night. I uh, thought I'd do a second you know, I did a podcast, I think Friday night, Thursday night, and I figured I'd do one tonight. And, uh, so I just, just to start off with, we'll talk about Twitter real, real quick. So we're on Twitter at defense underscore podcast. If you can possibly find the time, check us out on Twitter. Just a reminder, the Twitter supports the show and the show supports Twitter. If I talk about something on the show that I need to readdress or something I missed, messed up, I'll just go to Twitter and send it out. Excuse me. Or if I'm between shows and I see something interesting, I'll put it on Twitter. Um, and of course, if I do an episode, I'll put it on Twitter also. So they're kind of mutually supporting. So if you like Twitter, uh, if you like the show, you might like our Twitter uh, handle also, or whatever it's called. Uh, so F35, I've been keeping an eye on that. There's still no word on delivery or delivery waiver for the F35. So we'll keep an eye on that. That was big news that deliveries were stopped because of uh, a Chinese part that was put in uh, one of the components of the F-35. And then because of some uh, defense acquisition rules, uh, the delivery had to be halted. And and that's kind of where we're at now. Um, Dr. LaPlante, who is the senior acquisition um the Defense Department's senior acquisition official said, yep, we got to we got to stop and we might look for a waiver. So still no word on that, which kind of ties into uh, our first story. We're going to talk about two things today. We're talking about Taiwan um, and the synthetic training environment. And the first one is Taiwan. Now, full disclosure here, I'm not a political science or an international affairs expert. And people that are listening to the podcast before are like, yeah, no kidding. Uh, but it is defense news because Taiwan, uh, China is a pacing threat for, for uh, you know, for a lot of things, for the U.S. Marine Corps, for the U.S. Army. And, and so China's relationship with Taiwan is was important, and it's always in the news. And the latest article, or not the latest, but the article I'm going to refer to is from 14 September, some defense news from Bryant Harris. And the article is Senate advances $6.5 billion Taiwan military aid bill. Um, and the little headline is uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Bob Menendez and other lawmakers pose for a photo with Taiwan's president. I'm not going to try to say his name. And other Taiwan officials during a meeting in Taipei, Taiwan on April 15th, 2022. And the article goes on. Uh, the Senate on Wednesday, which is last Wednesday, advanced a sprawling bill that would get Taiwan the same benefits as major non-NATO allies, provide $6.5 billion in military aid, expedite arms sales, and prioritize the transfer of excess U.S. articles there. Foreign Relations Committee from the Senate advanced the Taiwan Policy Act, 17 to 5, after amending certain provisions to address the White House's concern with some components of the legislation legislation. 
the bipartisan bill would provide $6.5 billion in military aid to Taiwan through 2027 via, military, via foreign military financing, a program that provides foreign countries the ability to purchase U.S. military and equipment with grants and loans. The initial bill would have provided $4.5 billion through 2026, but the committee admitted the legislation with a $2 billion increase. So basically, this bill allows Taiwan to receive all the same benefits as a non-NATO ally under U.S. law. It stops short of former a stops short of a formal designation that could raise questions about Washington's recognition recognition of Taiwanese sovereignty, a matter that could potentially upend Sino-U.S. relations. And we're going to get to that a little bit later because that's a dicey subject. Uh, let me continue on with the article. Uh, still, the designation will help accelerate Taiwan's purchase of military equipments. equipment. Taiwan currently faces a $14 billion backlog in delivery of weapons it purchased from the United States via FMS, which is foreign military sales, uh, according to a document obtained by Defense News in April. Uh, Taiwan Policy Act directs the State Department and the Defense Department to prioritize and expedite foreign military sales for Taipei, which is the capital of Taiwan, and prohibit both departments from de- delaying the sales through a bundling route, which, whereby a defense manufacturer would simulta- simultaneously produce weapon systems from multiple contracts. I really don't understand that. Let me read that again. Uh, I don't think I want to go down that road. I'll read it one more time. Uh, whereby, defense con- whereby, whereby a defense manufacturer would simultaneously produce weapon systems from multiple contracts. I guess the contracts take too long to sort out, so they only want it from one contract. That's the best way I can figure it out. Now, the article goes on to refer to something we talked about in an earlier episode. Uh, the State Department approved earlier this month, I think the date was September 2nd, an additional $1.1 billion in arms sales to Taiwan. We covered that, including logistical support for Taipei's surveillance radar program, 60 Harpoon anti-ship missiles, and 100 Sidewinder, tact- Sidewinder tactical missiles. Um, the initial, I don't want to talk about the initial version. We want to talk about the version that talk that got passed or is going to go forward. Uh, the amended bill alters this to a regional currency stockpile. That's not important. Lastly, the bill directs the president to establish a five-year plan to prioritize the delivery of excess defense articles to Taiwan while requiring defense and state departments to develop a comprehensive training program with the Taiwanese military. So there you have it. It's, that's pretty much the end of it. Uh, it passed through the committee, and I assume it's going to go to the Senate for a full vote. Um, and then I guess it goes to the House after that. And then eventually the president will sign it. I think that's how it's supposed to work. But uh, anyway, if that is how it's going to work, that means there'll be more to follow on this, and we'll keep up with it. And while we're talking about it, uh, it referred to the 2 September for military sales. And because of that, we'll keep going on with this. There was an article in Breaking Defense uh, from Lee Farron, F-E-R-R-A-N, dated September 16th, which was just yesterday, uh, citing Taiwan arms sale, China sanctions Raytheon Boeing CEOs. So based upon that FMS sale with harpoon missiles and sidewinders, one of them's made by uh, Boeing and one's made by Raytheon, uh, Beijing uh, has claimed weapon transfers, including a recent $1.1 billion deal, gravely undermines China's sovereignty and security in- interests, so they have been sanctioned. Um, 
The article goes on. Livid over a recently announced $1.1 billion sale. Uh, that was to September to Taiwan. The Chinese government is targeting CEOs at two major American defense contractors with new sanctions. A spokesman for the Chinese foreign ministry said at a regular press conference today that the government is leveling sanctions against Raytheon's technology CEO Gregory Hayes and Boeing Defense Space's security CEO Ted Kohlberg, who said Beijing were involved in the deals. Uh, they undermine China's security and sovereignty. Severely harm China-U.S. relations and peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. China firmly opposes and strongly condemns these sales. Uh, let's see. So Raytheon um, makes the uh, uh, harpoons. No, the harpoons are made by Boeing, and I assume Raytheon makes the uh, sidewinders. And all this is kind of happening in the backdrop of what happened uh, last month. Um, he refers to the article here. It says tensions between the U.S. and China over Taiwan have been especially strained since last month when House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited the island. Uh, China responded with a show of force in the form of aggressive military exercises surrounding the island. And let's see what else. And then it further goes on to say the president of China, Xi Jinping, I think I said that kind of right, has given his military until 2027 to develop military capabilities to forcefully reunify with China. Uh, but no one has seen any indication that Xi has made the decision to invade. And that's, a, like I said, that's a tricky part of the world. The United States is kind of doing a balancing act. On one hand, um, there is policy that has recognized one China or one China rule. And on the other hand, we're trying to I don't know, for lack of a better word, play footsie with Taiwan in China's face. You know, uh, forgive me for being crude because that's, that's the best way I can figure out to say it. Um, so I decided to look kind of what, what is the United States official policy with China over Taiwan. So I went to Center for, for Strategic and International Studies, CSI. I used to refer to that, this website all the time. I haven't been there for a minute. I need to start going back. But they're real smart people over there. It's a big think tank. And one of the they, they kind of take, you know, tough questions and they break it down Barney style for normal people to be able to understand it. I call myself normal or abnormal people, whatever the case may be. But they kind of do a quick Q&A on what is the U.S. one China policy and why does it matter? This is an old article from January 13th, 2017. I don't think it's changed any. The question is, what is the U.S. one-China policy? Why does it exist? And the answer is, when the United States moved to recognize the People's Republic of China, PRC, and de-recognize the Republic of China, ROC, in 1979, the United States stated that the government of the People's Republic of China was the sole legal government of China. Sole meaning PRC was and is the only China with no consideration of ROC, also known as Taiwan, as a separate sovereign entity. That's very important to say, or to know. Um, the United States did not, however, give in to Chinese demands that it recognize Chinese sovereignty over Taiwan, which is the name preferred by the United States since it's opened to de-recognize re ROC. Instead, Washington acknowledged that the Chinese position that China was part of Taiwan. Uh, for geopolitical reasons, the U.S. and PRC were willing to go forward with di diplomatic recognition despite their differences on the matter. So 
So to this day, the U.S. one-China position stands. The United States recognizes the PRC as the sole legal government of China, but only recognizes the Chinese position that Taiwan is part of China. So Taiwan is part of China, but Taiwan runs itself. And uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, so that's why it's kind of conflicting. I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a touchy subject. So on one hand, we recognize that Taiwan be- belongs to China. I think a lot of other nations in the world too do also. Uh, but on the other hand, because, you know, PRC is communist and Taiwan is a democratic state, uh, we naturally align with those folks out there and do what we can to make sure that they endure. That's the bottom line. So that's kind of the U.S. policy, official U.S. policy on it. Now, China addresses Taiwan quite often. And the latest address they did was, and I found this from, where is this website? I don't know. I can't, I can't see the name of the website because I downloaded this document. Basically, it's the full text of the Taiwan question and China's reunification in the new era. It's a white paper put out by uh, uh, People's Republic of China. PRC and the title of it is the Taiwan question and China's reunification in the new era. Uh, it's from August 2022. They translated it in English because, you know, I, I'm such a great reader in Chinese, but I decided to read the read the English version, you know, just to practice my English. Actually, I need to practice my English. Um, no, I can't. I can't read or speak Chinese. So I downloaded the English version, of course, and I'm not going to read it to you. It's not that long. You could probably read it. In a few minutes, it's only, I don't know, maybe five or six pages. Not that long at all. I I did read it, by the way. Um, And I mean that. I'm not just saying that. I did read it. But uh, I read it a few weeks ago. Um, But I'm only going to read the the contents, the preamble and all that stuff. So here's here's the chapters to give you an idea what it's about. And and it's written, it's kind of written in that... uh, when they translated English, I don't think it's like a great translation. It doesn't, it doesn't directly translate well, so it kind of repeats itself throughout it. But anyway, here's the chapters. Chapter 1 is Taiwan is part of China. This is an undisputable fact. I mean, <laughs> that's what they lead with. Uh, okay, chapter 2. Resolute efforts of the CPC to realize China's complete reunification. I think Chinese uh, is C- CPC is the... Communist Party of China. That's what that means. Uh, China's complete reunification is a process that cannot be halted. That's chapter three. Chapter four is national reunification in the new era. And chapter five is bright prospects for peaceful reunification. And that's a chapter where they talk about Hong Kong and how well it's doing and how great Hong Kong loves being part of China again and blah, blah, blah. I think that's that chapter. Anyway. I wish I could tell you where I found this. Uh, Stand by. Oh, I found it on the Asia Times. Uh, TheAsiaTimes.com. A guy named George Ku wrote this article. And this article that he wrote, the title of the article is What China's Taiwan Taiwan White Paper is Saying. The important document is intended to remind the West that China will not budge on the position in Taiwan. Uh, AsiaTimes.com. The article's from 18 August... And it's a very friendly article to China. It's kind of uh, 
very negative to the West. So he definitely has a slant, this guy, George Kuh. But in the article, which is a good, if you want to hear what, you know, there's two sides to every argument. There's two sides to a coin. If you want to hear what the other side of the coin thinks about it, which, you know, if you're, what's that term, critical thinker. If you're a critical thinker, you go into an issue with no bias. So you probably want to hear all sides. This is the, This is a side of it. And he refers to uh, this white paper and he links to it. So anyway, if you're interested in it, check it out. Have I done enough on China and U.S., U.A.S., U.S.A. and Taiwan? Probably so. I probably shouldn't go down this road too much. Uh, it's not It's not my wheelhouse. Um, it's interesting, and it definitely ties into a defense podcast because, I mean, you just had uh, September 2nd, you just had $1.1 billion of foreign military sales go to Taiwan. The pacing threat for the USMC and for, and for the United States Army is China. So it's definitely... An, in our portfolio, so to speak, but uh, I'm not very adept at it. Deft, adept. English is my first language. I know I'm not that great at it, but uh, sometimes I don't know what words to say. Anyway, so I'm going to stop right there. All right, on through on to the synthetic training environment. Environment. So this is from an article from National Defense. I get it in print still. Um, I love this magazine. There's always a lot of good stories in it. Um, it's from September 2022. It's unbelievable that I still get it in print. And the article is called Army's One World Terrain on Track for 2023 Deadline. Uh, the article is written by Meredith Roten, R-O-A-T-E-N. We've done stories from Meredith before. And the story originates from Farn- Farnborough, United Kingdom. Um I think this is the air show they did last month. We didn't do a great job of covering that, by the way. Didn't know about it. Um, you know, I wasn't in the know. Maybe I'll be in the know next year and cover it better. But uh, before we get started with what one what one world terrain is, it should be it is a army priority. Uh, the army modernization strategy is uh, there are the six priorities are long range precision fires, next generation combat vehicle future vertical lift network, air and missile defense, and soldier lethality. Those are the six priorities. And there's cross-functional teams that are assigned to those. We, we go over this every once in a while. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. And those are the six Army modernization priorities. I just read them in order. And the Army created something called a cross-functional team that kind of looks after it, writes the requirements, makes sure it gets through the system in a timely manner. Those are the six. Now, there's I call them the plus two, six plus two. And the plus two is assured position, navigation, and timing, which has its own cross-functional team. And the other one is called synthetic training environment. Um, They have their own cross-functional team. And they're out of PEO stride, uh, what's called. They're down in Florida. Uh, The Army calls these enabling areas. I call them plus two. So it's actually six priorities plus two enabling areas. Synthetic training environment is one of them. And there are one, two, three, four. There are five efforts under a synthetic training environment. One of them is synthetic training environment information systems. Not real sure what that is. Uh, the other is reconfigurable virtual collective trainer. I know what that is. That's kind of like a, a simulator for ground vehicles or about anything you want to use. I think. I think that's what it is. Uh, squad immersive virtual trainer and squad soldier virtual trainer. Those are what they sound like, just trainers virtual using uh, this synthetic environment. And the last is One World Terrain. 
and, which, and this is the effort we're specifically talking about. And this one world ter- terrain supports and feeds those other efforts that I just mentioned to you. So now that we've kind of leveled the bubbles on um, what STE is, you might hear the term STE, synthetic training environment. That's an effort by the Army, and those are the major efforts that fall underneath synthetic training environment. So this is what the article's about. Um, well, shoot, while I'm talking about it, I might as well give you what the Army's definition. Now, this is from the Army website, uh, PEO Stry, and I never know what PEO Stry means. I got to write it down. I wrote it down here. So, PEO, of course, we know means Program Executive Office, and Stry means Simulation Training and Instrumentation. So, PEO STRI, Simulation Training Instrumentation. Nobody says that, they just say PEO Stry. So if you hear P.O. Stride, they're down in Orlando, I do believe. Um, So anyway, getting back to One World Terrain, this is what the Army calls One World Terrain, and this is from P.O. Stride's website. So the description of One World Terrain is it delivers 3D global terrain capability and associated information services that support a fully accessible virtual representation of the physical Earth accessible through the Army network. One World Train is usable by all simulation trainers. That's probably the most important phrase in this whole paragraph. One World Train is usable by all simulation trainers that represent the complexities of the operational environment and multi-domain battlefield. Got to throw that in there. In support of training as provisioned through the Army's Synthetic Training Environment, STE. One World Train is dynamically rendered at PON, point of need. Leveraging game streaming technologies enabled by advances in fiber optic and 5G, uh, 5G wireless networks. And there are three inter- system interdependencies, which is the re- reconfigurable virtual, corrective train- virtual collective trainer, the common synthetic environment, and the last but not least, one of my favorite subjects, the IVAS, Integrated vir- Visual Augmentation System. So this one-world terrain... Basically, is if you're in the States and you're going to uh, do a training mission in Poland, once it's, once it's all set up, you should be able to go, say your IVAS is working, it's, they got it squared away, you could pump one world train into your IVAS of the exact range facility in Poland that you're going to, and you could train your squad or your platoon on that terrain because the whole world has been mapped virtually, synthetically, and if you want to go to Fort Sill to uh, shoot on their marksmanship range, you can go to Fort Sill and shoot on their marksmanship range. If you want to go to uh, Poland and shoot on a tank range, you can go to Poland and shoot on a tank range right at your home station. And that's the idea. Of, it's a brilliant idea. I mean, just fantastic. And if they can pull it off and make it work, then, you know, training is everything and everything is training. So, how long have I been going on about this? Only about four minutes. So anyway, that's what this, this article is about. Now I'll finally get to the article. So key training and simulation software the Army has vowed to lead, vowed to field by 2023, which is a year from now, is on track for delivery. One of the contractors delivering the project said in July. I'm back to the article, by the way. Uh, this One of the contractors is called Bohemia Interactive Simulations. They work on the One World Terrain. And... Of course, they go, he, we know it's a priority. So in 2021, Chief of Staff of the Army, James McConville, vowed to deliver 24 new technologies by 2023, and one of these is One World Terrain. Uh, 
I just gave you an example of it, but I'll give you another. One World Train seeks to render the entire world in 3D so soldiers can train virtually for any mission located anywhere on the Earth prior to a mission. It leverages 5G. Uh, PEO says, so PEO was told, initially they were told you got to fill this by 2028. But according to this article, they've been told they've got to move it to 2024. But the chief, uh, General Conville says, nope, you're going to have it ready by 2023. And of course, it feeds reconfigurable virtual tra- uh, vehicle trainers, uh, weapons handling trainers, desktop simulators, like I just mentioned, and of course, our old friend IVAS. Uh, and this company, this guy, uh, uh, this uh, company, Bohemia, they've been bought by BAE Systems earlier this year. So BAE now owns Bohemia, which now works with the one world terrain. So I don't think I want to go on anymore. Uh, there's some quotes in here from this guy. Uh, this They quote one of the contract guys. His name is, that's not really important what his name is. He's got a quote that says, well, live fire, while live training is important, it's necessary to prepare war fighters for locations they can't access, such as territory controlled by adversaries. So yeah, that makes sense. And, Finally, the last paragraph of the article says, while Bohemia's main customer base is NATO countries, the company is expanding into the Middle East and Asia as markets are less familiar with virtual training. So training is everything. Everything is training. The Army's fixing to go virtual or wants to go virtual with, with STE, synthetic training environment. And if they can pull it off, um, of course, it doesn't replace live training. Everybody knows that. You need, you know, I mean, you got to take the mortar out there. You got to practice setting up the mortar you got to get it lined up you got to do your crew drills you can't replicate you can probably replicate some of that and with the ste and a virtual trainer but it's best to get out there and carry the weight and go the distances and all that so they all work hand in hand all right 25 minutes and 54 seconds that's it i'm done got nothing else to talk about uh let's see let me double check everybody nope that's it so Kind of a recap, we talked about China probably too much, um, and I hope I didn't screw that up too bad. And then we talked about World War Terrain, which is good. That's awesome. And no update on the F-35. So that's pretty much it. Episode 50. Um, actually, we're not at 50. I call it 50, but we're not at 50. I didn't do an episode 13. I, I, I went from 12 to 14. So technically, we're on 49. Next week, next episode will be actually on 50. So if you'd stumbled upon the podcast, welcome. Uh, hopefully I didn't run you off after this, this episode. And if you're a, a longtime listener or a, a current listener, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, overseas, United States, Canada, wherever, appreciate it. I can always use a download. Uh, you're always welcome to the podcast. Uh, come out, hang out, drop by. Tell a friend, whatever you got to do. So uh, we're at 27 minutes, episode 50. I'll call it 50. It's in the books. Uh, Thank you very much and good night.